0: Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Coming up, some words of encouragement from Lauren Gaskill of the She Found Joy podcast and events. She has struggled with chronic pain due to health issues. She provides insight into how God has been at work in her life. Then, even though her mother has early onset Alzheimer's, Sarah Smith has a sense of hope in Christ. Some elements of her own story and some principles that can be applied in similar circumstances ahead. Then, for years, while singing with notable Christian groups such as the Imperials and the Gaither Vocal Band, as well as through his solo career, Russ Taff was making a tremendous impact for Christ. But for a good part of his life, he struggled with alcoholism. A documentary was released last fall about this legend. And he has recently released a new album. You'll be hearing some of his comments. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Jeremy Dice of First Liberty, which is involved in defending a large Veterans Memorial Monument in Maryland that is in the shape of a cross. The U.S. Supreme Court will be hearing the case soon. You'll find out more about the case as you listen. Finally, representing Christian History Institute and Christian History Magazine, you'll be hearing some comments from Michael Austin, sharing insight on the life and the influence of noted theologian George Mueller, on whom the latest edition of the magazine is centered. This is The Intersection, of production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Lauren Gaskill has faced health challenges and chronic pain in her life, yet she's devoted to integrating God's perspective into her difficulties. She's an author, speaker, and the host of the She Found Joy podcast and She Found Joy Ladies Night Out events. She's written a book entitled Into the Deep, Diving Into a Life of Courageous Faith. From a recent conversation, this is Lauren Gaskill.
1: I've always loved the water, Um, and it was in high school that I was on my way to being a record-setting swimmer. Um, I was at the top of my class, and my collarbone started popping out, and I didn't really understand what was going on. I went to the doctors. They said that I was just hypermobile um, and said just to watch it, watch the pain, ice it, Um, and then fast forward to college, and I woke up with lockjaw. Um, I also started experiencing chronic headaches. Um, In high school, I had depression and anxiety, and that got worse in college, so all of these random, they seemed random issues that nobody could connect the dots. And I, I just told myself that I was crazy um, because I I looked at the rest of the world and I was like, well, everybody else is doing fine. So I just need to buck up and, you know, just, just everybody else must be going through something similar. So, you know, and then I, I got married and my husband was like, this is not normal. (laughs) Um, This was out out of college, and it was the first time, because I had been to doctors, and doctors told me, well, you just have anxiety. It's all in your head, and my husband was like, no, this is not in your head, and this is not normal. You need to see a doctor, and praise the Lord by the grace of God. After seeing several doctors, there was a doctor in Minnesota who looked at my jaw, and he was like, you do not have fibromyalgia, or just simple hypermobility. He was like, you have a connected tissue, connective tissue disorder called hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos, and it's a collagen defect in the joints. Um, so uh, that verse in Colossians where it says that in him everything is held together, I like to joke that literally the only thing holding me together is Jesus because my joints and ligaments do a pretty bad job of it.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. Talk about how you've seen your faith grow in the midst of the challenges that you have endured.
1: Hmm. Well, my faith is definitely a hard-fought faith. Um, There are days where I definitely have to say, God, I I don't have very much faith today. I need you to increase my faith. And and we know that faith is a gift from Him, and He is able to do that in our hearts. Um, What I have learned is that the most important thing in our faith journey, and I have a whole chapter about this, but it is Building endurance. And I talk about um, the armor of God, which I call the faith suit. But seriously, like putting on the belt of truth, the shoes of peace, the helmet of salvation, remembering all of these things, the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. You know, there are days where I, I wake up and I'm like, I can't do today. I don't want to fight. I don't want to be a warrior. But God's word calls us warriors. There's a reason why Paul talks about the armor of God in such a, a victorious way, because we are victorious. Um, and so I think in my journey and in all of our journeys, I think remembering the armor of God, suiting up, that's kind of what a suit up, that's what I like to say. Mm-hmm. Um, put on your suit every single day, because the enemy will try to rob you of your peace, he will try to steal your joy, he will try to diminish your faith. He can't take away any of those things, especially our salvation. He can't take away those things from us, especially when we remember to put them on.
0: Lauren Gaskill here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the website, Lauren Gaskill, G-A-S-K-I-L-L, inspires.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Sarah Smith, author of the book Broken Beauty, Piecing Together Lives Shattered by Early Onset Alzheimer's, she shared about the effect of the condition on her mother and discussed how God taught and strengthened her during this difficult season. Here now is Sarah Smith.
2: God showed up in so many different ways. Um, one way he showed up was through friends. I, I, I really um, went through a horrible uh, weeks and a few months of depression and sadness and despair. I was in my bed crying after um, I placed my mom. My father couldn't do it, so I had to do it for him. And dropping her off and leaving her there was—it ju- just crushed my soul. Crushed. It just broke my heart. And I would lie to my husband and tell him I went and ran errands or I had worked out when he would ask me how my day was. But when I was really in bed, crying, out of heartbreak, and my friends would finally say to me please let us bring a meal to you. Please let us bring your kids home from school. Stop trying to do all this by yourself. They were showing up. And then I just, I, I had to fully surrender to God. All I had left was to cling to him. I couldn't change or fix anything. I can't cure this disease. And I just fell on my knees one morning at 5.15 in the morning, I had this little room that I go and pray in, and I cried my eyes out to God and said, please help me. I can't do this. And he showed up in such powerful ways. He would literally show up with, um, someone would leave a card that day with a Bible verse that maybe I had read that morning. Um, He would show up through a child's teacher that didn't even know what was going on at home by sending me a message about my child and something positive they did. It was different ways that I was encouraged by the people around me. And it really is important to have community, to have friendships and family and not hide. And the moment I finally came out and admitted my my despair and was authentic with my emotions and very vulnerable. God flooded me with help. And I I know with all of my heart there is no way I would have been able to go back and see mom and walk through that memory care door and enter the lockdown code. She can't get out without a code and I can't get in without the code. There's no way I could have done that if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit and his mighty strength to give me courage and face my fears. And because of that, all these blessings begin to happen. And I just, um, he has been so faithful. He, um, has taught me that while sometimes, um, life is so hard, can be hard and we, we can easily fall in the darkness. He's faithful and he's adventurous and God wants, he knows me best, and so he wants to give me his best, and I finally made a decision to give him my very best. And in order to give him my best, I also gave my mom my best, and that's what I continue to do now is to um, give my very best for her, my father, my husband, my children, and for the Lord. And that alone fills me with peace and contentment, and incredible strength.
0: Sarah Smith here on The Intersection. Find out more through the website brokenbeautybook.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection, it's Russ Taft, Christian musical artist. He shared about his struggles with alcohol and trauma related to his childhood in light of the release of a documentary film entitled Russ Taft, I Still Believe, as well as a worship album called Believe. From a recent conversation this is russ taff
3: i had that first heineken and i'd never drank and all of a sudden i began to feel something and those voices got a little bit quieter those accusing voices those negative voices and so i had another one and there again the voices got quieter and by the third one i didn't hear those voices anymore i didn't hear those accusations and and uh uh, and I remember the next day, Bob, of just thanking Jesus, thanking Jesus. I can live this way. All of this negative and, and hurtful stuff is gone. And uh, to me, it was a miracle. And I told Tori, you know, who none of us knew anything about alcoholism back then, but that um, you know, I, I, I think the Lord just showed me a way to to get away from all of this hurt and this pain and this depression um and so i took off on this journey praising god but you know i found out real quick that it gets a hold of you and uh and it causes chaos and pain and uh i began to hide i'd be on the road and um you know i'd never tried i never drank before a concert and it was always there waiting for me um And it started this thing to where, I I mean, I felt even worse, and I hated myself. I hated myself because I was turning into my dad. And um, this went on for about six or seven years. And, and, you know, they did a big intervention on me here in this town with the people that really loved me. And Bill Gaither was there and uh, a lot of my friends. And they told me, they said, you're killing yourself and uh tori told me that day in the in in the in the intervention she said i'm not going to live this way anymore um and so uh the next day or the day after that i went into treatment to you know try to get a handle on this and you know uh, because you know i can't tell you the shame and the hatred of yourself um to uh you know you're in this treatment center and you're angry you know and i said god all i ever wanted to do was sing for you and now look at me you know i i am in this place of uh where people that have major problems and i'm one of them i got sober and i went about 10 years uh still not dealing with the trauma of my childhood yet Uh, i didn't know that was the culprit that kept coming up and uh uh, grabbing a hold of me and pulling me down, it was uh ten years, and my dad died and I didn't know what to do i I was so angry and at him, and I was so and I loved him so much. there was just this split going on inside of me where you're at the funeral and and you're saying, "Why did you do this to me? You know why did you treat me and my brothers this way and why you know why were you?" Uh, so negative to us. And, and, uh, but then the other side of you that's your dad there and you love him. And the way I dealt with it, I went and drank for a week, um, and just made everything so much worse, so much worse. And I went back in, uh, to treatment after a short amount of time and kind of got my life back together. And, you know, I had another nine years of sobriety and my mother died. Um, And that was about a five-day, you know, relapse, not knowing what to do with all of this. And one of the therapists that that we were seeing, uh, Tori and I, they said, she said, uh, you're never going to get well completely until you deal with the trauma of your childhood. And because I just act like Bob, but it wasn't there that, you know, that didn't happen. And I'm, you know, on track and I'm, you know, doing all these great and wonderful things. And when mom died there, I went again. And I spiraled out of control for about four or five days uh, and then got it back together. Um, But the real healing came for me is I went um, about 13 years ago. uh, My therapist told me about this place in Santa Fe, New Mexico, that dealt with trauma and trauma of my childhood. And there's so many stories I could tell about what happened to to uh me and my brothers uh, that that is you know uh, it, it's it's awful and it's painful but i went there and i was going to spend 30 days just going into uh this trauma and try to figure it out and to try because that's where the root of this thing was coming from
0: russ taff here on the intersection his website address is russ Well, this is The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info. You'll find a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. Also, through that homepage, you can get connected to the Intersection podcast. You can listen to or download the current edition as well as previous editions. The podcast is also available through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you go to the website faithradio.org. Also, through the Meeting House homepage, you can get connected to two blogs. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there is a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Or you can find it through the programming section when you go to faithradio.org. Jeremy Dice is Deputy General Counsel of First Liberty Institute. He discussed with me recently a case that the U.S. Supreme Court has accepted involving a challenge to the display of a large veterans memorial in Bladensburg, Maryland that is in the shape of a cross. Oral arguments before the high court are scheduled for late February. Here now is Jeremy Dice.
4: The case that we're dealing with right now, the Supreme Court of the United States, is really the end process of probably... Fifteen or more years of litigation solely on the issue of veterans' memorials and and whether or not they violate what's called the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment, uh, and so I, I'm so glad that uh, that the Supreme Court has taken this case because to, to kind of paraphrase what Justice Thomas has said that more than once, the uh, the jurisprudence, the meaning the law that has come out of the Supreme Court is uh, in disarray when it Mm. comes to issues uh, regarding the establishment clause and to just kind of point that out i mean we've got we've got concerns when when we have a 93 year old veterans memorial that has stood there since 1925 when it was erected by the the american legion right there in blainsburg maryland that was the idea of of women who lost their sons in world war one there in blainsburg and it's it's been standing there for 93 years until someone finally decided that they were offended by its presence and filed a lawsuit because they think it's an establishment of religion there. You know, we've got other issues, like uh, two Christian fo- two Christian schools that played the state championship football game in Florida and wanted to issue a prayer over the loudspeaker, and the state there said that, no, if we let you use that microphone to do that, even though you're both two Christian schools and no one on the Western Hemisphere would think otherwise, it would violate the Establishment Clause and, and would be like the the state of Florida establishing a religion. And We can go on down the list of somewhat... Yep silly uh, rationales for why the state puts forward that they, you know, have to take down a a nativity scene, for instance, because there's not enough reindeer and Santa Claus nearby enough to to kind of qualify it as an eclectic gathering of Christmas decorations. It it just resulted in kind of silly behavior in some respects. And then more practically than that, you've got people like uh, city councilmen and uh, county commissioners and the like, that have to uh, try to figure out, you know, do we have enough Rudolphs in this display (laughs) uh, next to a nativity scene to make sure that it is okay? Uh, It shouldn't take, in this case, five years of litigation and a four-volume appendix to figure out whether or not a Veterans Memorial violates the United States Constitution. Uh, Just as a spoiler alert, we don't think it does, and I don't think the Founding Fathers would think that a Veterans Memorial of any shape would violate the First Amendment. This has been standing now for, what? what is it, over 90 years, right? That's right. In, in 1919, some gold star mothers, meaning the, the women who lost their sons, who sacrificed themselves in the, in the defense of the freedom that you and I now enjoy, they were the ones that came up with this idea, that they would borrow a, an image of the, the gravestones that stood watch, and some cases still do stand watch, over their sons' graves in Europe. And so they decided to take that, and by 1925, the American Legion had joined in with them and had erected this Veterans Memorial, which the locals call the Peace Cross right there in Blainsburg. It honors 49 men from Prince George's County, Maryland, who died in World War I. On the, on the list of the people who are on that uh, memorial, memorialized by this memorial, are guys like uh, Henry Hulbert. This was one bad dude. I mean, he was a Marine that had that was kind of had argued to get back into the Marine Corps to go serve in World War One. He's kind of the swashbuckling kind of type you'd think about would be from that era. He received the Medal of Honor during the Guam conflict in the 1800s. He went back in the Marine Corps in the 1919s to 1910s to, to be a part of World War One. Uh, later, they would name a destroyer after this guy. That destroyer served in Pearl Harbor and shot down the very first uh, bomber in Pearl Harbor, as a matter of fact, continuing this guy's legacy. These are the kind of men that are on that memorial. You, you've got other men on there like... Uh, 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 Tom Fenwick, who was a private during World War One, and, and uh, is a descendant of a Revolutionary War hero. Uh, you've got uh, men like Corporal Seaburn, who uh, was an African-American soldier. I can go on down the list of the 49 men who are all heroes in many respects, but it's been standing there in honor of their uh, their service and sacrifice since 1925, Uh, in which they've had um, I don't know how many different veterans and Memorial Day celebrations around there, every single veterans and Memorial Day since 1925.
0: Jeremy Dice here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website first, spell it out, liberty.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's Christian commentator Michael Austin, spokesperson for Christian History Magazine, which is a publication of Christian History Institute. He shared about content from the most recent edition entitled George Mueller, The Brethren and Faith Missions. Here now from that conversation is Michael Austin.
5: Young George uh, uh, met with that group, and he had a profound experience um, reading Scripture, and understanding a very direct, very simple way to relate to Scripture and uh, our Heavenly Father. And so in a, in a home Bible study, had a conversion uh, experience. Very shortly thereafter, he applied. Now, these were in the days when there was quite a lot of uh, church business, if you will, uh, was um, enormous. Uh, you know, in Europe, um, a very large majority of the population identified as Christian, and there were a lot of Christian ministries. M- uh, missionaries were being sent out, and so forth. So, <clears throat> a young man like George could actually get a job, and uh, in that field, and he got a job with an organization in London um, ministering to Jews. He he became known as a as a fervent uh, believer and somewhat of a zealot, very dedicated to the work, and he was working uh, 14, 18 hours a day uh, and evangelizing. He was a great evangelizer. Um, That led, however, to some differences that he had with uh, evangelistic styles, and he gravitated onto uh, a church that uh, he was actually invited by a a uh, pastor of a small church to come and preach at his church, and um, he was he had no training in that. He had no uh, training as a minister. Um, his back his training at college was theological, um, not seminarian, and so he did not have uh, these these uh, pastoral skills, if you will. However, he quickly discovered. After having memorized a couple of uh, sermons that he would deliver, he very quickly discovered that he had a knack for commenting and sharing his own experiences on Scripture. And that's what started his preaching career, and he became known uh, for that. And by the way, that style of preaching continues in the, um, in the Brethren movement, which, by the way, is known for its preachers and its itinerant preachers who travel to other assemblies, they call. They don't use the term church. They use the term assembly. Um, as, as I mentioned, uh, typically a small gathering. Um, and these uh, uh, brethren, ministers, uh, preachers, if you will. Um, uh, by the way, they also believe in having a job, not being dependent upon the church for their pay, which uh, Paul was uh, an advocate of, as as we know from scripture. And uh, they travel from one um, assembly to another preaching. So if, you're, if you attend one of those uh, gatherings, one of those assemblies, you're likely to hear preaching of somebody that lives in another state, another part of the country, or in another country entirely. The Scriptural Knowledge Institution, SKI, which, by the way, still exists. Wow. And you're quite right, the, uh, the mandate was to uh, distribute bibles they also uh were supporting day schools and sunday schools this movement actually was instrumental in establishing what we know today as the sunday school um and that is a school for uh, adults uh teaching the bible and uh also also they supported ministry work but actually the orphanage Came at a later time, just a couple of years later, uh, Mueller kind of struck out on his own to uh, he was actually inspired by um, a man named Frank, who he, by the way, um, took advantage of uh, Frank's institution, which was an orphanage uh, and stayed in one for a couple of years in Germany when he was in need. And um, so having had that experience, he had a heart for those who are most vulnerable and most in need in uh, society and in these days in England that was children.
0: Michael Austin here on The Intersection. You can learn more and view the online version at christianhistorymagazine.org. We're nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House. The website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center. Also, you can get subscribed to The Intersection Podcast and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes on a weekly basis. You can also find the current and previous editions of The Intersection. You can find two blogs. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me for this edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.